Hi, Nicole. Hey there, Renee. So today we are talking about the idea of waiting, but also acting. And I guess we're doing it specifically in the context of faith. And yes, <laughs> you know, you are, we are. just to let, let everybody know, um, you know, this might not be your episode, but we are talking about how so many of us are, ah, wait on God, wait on God, wait on God. And we've talked about this before. Um, when do you wait on God and when do you act? Mm-hmm. And can both be holy? And mm. when are they and how do we discern the two? So I don't know, you start today. Oh, dang. It's a big one. I don't know. I don't really feel like I have a lot of specific personal stories around this idea. I was thinking about when we were getting ready for this episode, I was thinking about me and you both and how we really are both naturally doers. And we're doers in different ways and we have different motivation for our doing. Um, so for me, it's actually a lot harder for me to just wait. Mm -hmm. I tend to fall into the category where it's a lot harder for me to just wait on the Lord and be quiet and be still and be silent and listen. I mean, maybe are there Christians for whom that's easy? I used to be that (laughs) way. And I, in my thirties and forties, I switched out. Switched out. You're just like, I'm trading. No. And I can tell you why. We Actually, this is funny because I didn't realize that I would have this idea until I didn't realize this until you just were talking right now. But I'll talk about how that moved. So I don't have a lot of examples of where I felt like I couldn't take action. For me, so much of my time has been spent where I've had to slow myself down from taking action. Mm and force myself to wait more. Um, I remember when I was in college, I was dating someone and I knew that I wasn't gonna be with this person long-term even though he was a really great guy and we had a good relationship, but we just, I knew I didn't wanna marry him. And I we'd been dating long enough and I was old enough that I felt like I should probably just be really upfront and honest with him because we were like, you know, we were like 22 and he'd started talking marriage and, um. And I remember when we broke up, I was really sad. And I said, Lord, if you would just tell me what's happening, hmm. if you would just give me a peek down the road, hmm. I would totally do whatever you need me to do right now. That was my pitch, as if Jesus was just going <laughs> to give me some download and some piece of information to like get me through that. I mean, that's faith is not seeing. And So no, that didn't come, but that was always my mentality. Like if I know the why, I could totally do this. If you just like let me in on the what's up, I'm good. And I can just play the part that I need to play. And as we all know, that doesn't happen very often that we're given that insider information when we want it. It very often comes much later. And then we're Mm -hmm. like, oh yeah, that makes sense. So, but one of the stories that came to my mind that I wasn't sure if I was going to tell but Renee was like, you should you should tell it. So I dated this guy, another guy. Um, I dated some people. Um, I'm going to call him Tyrone. Tyrone. <laughs> I mean, he is black, so, he, so I'm going to call him Tyrone. So I dated this guy named Tyrone. And we dated very seriously in high school and into college. And I was convinced that he was the person I was going to marry. Um, I had no question in my mind that he was going to be my husband. And... 
we ended up breaking up in college um, for lots of different reasons. Um, We were long distance at the time too, which was really, really difficult. We were going to college in different cities. And so after we broke up though, maybe almost about a year and a half or so after we broke up, we started talking again. I had, I was just about to graduate college at that time. I'd moved back home to Phoenix and he was living in Texas and we kind of rekindled or we started to rekindle our relationship and we spent you know, when you're all excited and you just talk on the phone for hours and the time just goes by and we were talking about our future together and we were talking about me moving to Texas and, you know, would I attend his church or would we find a new church? And we were talking about children, all of these very important subjects. Mind you, we had dated for years. We knew each other very well and these, this just felt like, oh, these are the next conversations that we're having. This makes sense. And then maybe a few weeks later, after talking, he called me on the phone and he said, Nicole, I don't love you. Ugh. I know. It was it was quite the blow at the time. I remember – well, I really, I was sad, but I was pissed. I was so angry. And I immediately was like, absolutely, you do not get to do this ever again. I drew hard, firm boundaries and I – I was like, I can't even believe you led me down this path. And we had these conversations and you made me believe that we were going to start afresh and actually end up married. So I stopped talking with him um, for quite a while. A few months go by, he calls me again. I talk casually, no big deal. Maybe about a year later, I'm dating my going-to-be husband, my future husband, Jonathan. Jonathan and I, at this point, are only have only been dating like two weeks, and but you so knew each other for like a we year. We knew each other for a year. We were we had been pretty good friends before, um, and I mean, I would say even within two weeks of dating, we pretty much knew we were going to be married. I mean, we we knew right away for the most part. So wouldn't you know how ex boyfriends do? They have a radar. He was like, oh. Tyrone was like, oh, she must be dating someone. I'm going to call her up right now. So he was in town and he called me up and asked if we could go to dinner. And I, you know, I ran it by Jonathan, but I was like, I'm going to, you know, I want to go meet him for dinner. He's still an important person in my life. I haven't seen him in, by that point, I probably hadn't seen him a couple of years. So we go to dinner. As we're sitting at dinner, sitting across from me at the table and he says, Nicole, God told me we're supposed to be married. God told me that we should be married to each other. We're, we should get married. And the, there's a lot of stuff wrapped up in this um, comment. And I've told other people this story and people cringe and they're like, oh God, so messed up and you know manipulative. And I will just say this person, Tyrone, is not a manipulative person and is actually a really wonderful, amazing person. Um, and also one of the most godly people that I've ever known. So I was totally thrown by this comment. I did not understand what was happening. I was completely confused. I kind of took a deep breath. I looked at him for a minute and I said, well, do you want to marry me? (laughs) Oh, that's a good question. And he paused back and he said, well, I mean, and didn't kind of finish. And I said, okay, so when you want to marry me, you can give me a call. Like, I'm dating someone. It's pretty serious. You let me know. And I, you know, we finished our evening. 
and I left. A week, no, two, three weeks later. No, that's not right because I was engaged. So Jonathan and I got engaged by six weeks. After six weeks of dating, we were engaged. He proposed at six weeks. And I said, yes, we've now been married 15 years. It worked out really well. So four weeks after this dinner with this friend, ex-boyfriend, Tyrone, he calls me and he says, Nicole, I was wrong. I love you. I want to be with you. I do want to marry you. And I said, well, I'm engaged. To which he responded, and I'll never forget, I feel like I've entered an alternate universe. That was the last time I remember talking to him. But didn't he say something pivotal? Oh, yes. This is the part of the story. This is the point of the story. The whole reason I'm telling the story. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me. You're welcome. It's still a good story, but this is the point of the story. He said, after the alternate universe, he collected himself and he said, well, I'm going to fight for you. I am going to fight for you. You will see. I'm going to fight for you. And I was like, okay. And we got off the phone and he proceeded to do absolutely nothing perceivable but i'm sure in the heavenlies well that's the thing (laughs) so i never heard from him nothing ever happened he never showed up anywhere he never sent me anything he never called never emailed me never nothing just i'm going to fight for you crickets and jonathan (laughs) and then there was jonathan (laughs) who in response to hearing Tyrone say this, because I told him, he was like, oh, you want to see a fight? I'll show you a fight. And he proceeded to literally fill my bedroom with roses. So many roses, so many flowers. You can't even comprehend how many flowers he put in my house. And he was like, I will fight for you. I will show you that I love you. I choose you and I want to marry you. I remember processing this story out with Renee Years after, and I was just telling it, and it struck me like we had the revelation at the same moment that I will fight for you. He meant that, but he literally also meant I'm going to pray a lot. (laughs) I don't want to laugh because it's not funny. It's not. It's actually really sad. I'm going to pray a lot. And Tyrone sounds like an Enneagram 5 if I've ever heard of one. hard (laughs) 5. Hard 5. Which also I think is important to talk about how our personality affects how, like we were saying about us as doers, how our personality affects how we engage our faith. And he really did mean he was going to fight for me. And I guarantee that he thought that that meant to do so in the spiritual realm, that he was going to pray and fast and I don't know what else. Fight against the powers and principalities principalities that were trying to keep us (laughs) apart because he believed that God said that we were supposed to be together. And when I think about it now, I have so many mixed feelings about it because it is a person that I cared about so much and I still do care about, but it's also where we've fallen victim to that thinking that my action in faith is supposed to look like this and that if, I mean, who knows what would have happened? This is like super hypothetical, but if he had actually engaged in some way, if he had shown up in my apartment, if he had you know, wooed me, tried to woo me, if um, any number of things. And 
even that initial conversation where he said he felt like we were supposed to be married, that still sent me for a little bit of a tailspin spiritually. I had to pray through that and think about that and work through that and talk to Jonathan like, well, this is the person that I thought I was going to marry for years who I really still care about who's giving me this really crappy proposal. (laughs) The worst. It was the worst. But it did mess with my head. Sure. And I had to weigh that out and work through that and decide who I was going to how I was going to respond to that in the long run. And, you know, Jonathan and I weren't even engaged at the time. But all that to say, I think that a lot of us have lost a lot of what could be. Yeah. Because we have relegated faith to only a prayer, prayerful heavenly realm act when faith in action, at least for me, is what I see almost primarily in scripture. Mm-hmm. It, it is so, what you're saying is so nuanced. And I know that there would be so many people who would be listening to this podcast right now going, those girls do not know what they're talking right. about. And <laughs> I would okay. have been one of them That's who okay. would have changed the dial or you know clicked the pause to even question the idea that not waiting for the word of the Lord before you do mm-hmm, anything, mm-hmm. it is not okay. Right. And that what Tyrone did was absolutely of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Although it didn't actually, right. I mean, unless maybe after everything is said and done and when you're 80 years old, maybe you and Tyrone will like get back together. But I don't know. And so I don't know. That could be. Listen, I don't ever want to question the word of the <laughs> Lord, okay? And um, and I do not know Tyrone. I've never met Tyrone. But, um, you know, this whole idea, though, that I think as Christians, too, we do want to wait on the Lord. We do want to hear what the Lord has to say in order to honor that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but there is so much inertia there. Yes. There are so many Christians who are who are sayers of the words but not doers of the word. Correct. And I think it's because of this thing mm-hmm. in so many different ways. And I think even moving out of I used to be a Tigrone where I I must have been more of a four wing five back then because I just I remember going for hours before the Lord and just waiting to hear from him. And I know this was like a training ground for me, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but because I I do kind of have, I've talked about this, this kind of very interactive relationship with the Lord. I had a lot of emotional, um, uh, I had a a lot of abuse that I had to kind of overcome. A lot of these things that I needed to sort out throughout my life. And I feel like God taught me in the waiting to hear his voice, mm-hmm. which I'm so thankful for. And then, but it was throughout the years where I knew I should have said something and didn't. Mm-hmm. And that regret. Right. And I hate regret. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, what pushed me to being more action oriented. Because yeah. I used to be one of those types who never returned emails. I mean, nobody can even think I can't about even that. Comprehend nobody Renee can even that comprehend. Didn't all right, because then I became this person. I don't person, know this Renee. I know. Then I became this person who 
responded to emails so quickly that it was too quick. Right. <laughs> play it cool. Back. Play yeah, it cool. Right? And now I'm kind of balancing out. But here's how kind of, I mean, it wasn't one particular story, but here was the most, I think, pivotal story for me into the grand scheme of waiting and action. This was, we. my husband and I were living in Colorado. This was early in our marriage. We had not had any children yet. Um, so it was early 30s. And um, there was a woman who came into my life like a gust. And I was really lonely in Colorado for a number of reasons. I really had a hard time finding like-minded women. And here was this woman. She had lived in Africa and she she was white, um, but she was well-traveled and she was also charismatic. And we just, we hit it off immediately and we loved to pray with each other. She had a lot happening though in whatever. And she ended up to to many of us like basically taking out a knife and stabbing us all. That's essentially what she did. Mm -hmm. And in fact, after she basically obliterated me, Greg kind of had this vision, if you will, about what it looked like in the spirit realm to God, how she treated me. Mm -hmm. And he was like, Renee, I saw her rip off in, in his like vision. I saw her rip off your clothes and push you outside in the middle of a frozen street wow. and leave you there for mm -hmm. dead. And that's what it felt like. It was so devastating. So spiritual abuse. You're it was spiritual about. abuse. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it was more friendship abuse. She right, was just right. a super unhealthy person mm -hmm. who had a great big personality. Yeah. And once you once they got sucked into her orbit. Once you get sucked into her orbit, then then right. she you get burned up when you get to yeah, yeah. it's awful and the wake of bodies mm -hmm. that was ten years ago oh no yeah it was twelve years ago right the wake of bodies um is is devastating yeah so anyway and I'm one of these quick forgivers right it's it's you know I can get hurt easily but I can also forgive easily anyway so I immediately forgave her because mm -hmm. that's what you do right you act yeah you you forgive right. And uh, anyway, and it would keep kicking up in me, this idea that like, you know, this this hurt. I'm like, Lord, I forgive her. Lord, I forgive her. Weeks and weeks, months and months go by. Lord, how the Bible says, forgive 70 times seven. I've forgiven her 70 times a million at this point. Mm -hmm. I've forgiven her. And I heard almost the audible voice of God say, yes, you have forgiven her but you have not yet been healed of what she did to you. Right. And I was like, what? Yeah. And that to me was like the great catalyst mm -hmm. of the waiting action, waiting action yeah, kind so of good. back and forth dichotomy where it's not just a binary. It's not one or the other. It's the both. It's mm -hmm. this idea that, yes, I forgave her. But then afterwards, there was this tremendous amount of – it was hard for me to engage in friendship after her because it was just so uncertain. And then – and just all of the things that she said about me and my character, um, it was just devastating. And so having to like have – and I really believe that the Lord was like, she said this about you, but this is the truth about who you mm -hmm, are. Mm -hmm. And it was so beautiful. And and so now I think especially what this has really taught me in the in the realm of waiting and action is that 
in my experience with Christianity and with being around Christians is that God's people are usually really faithful to the act of forgiveness, mm. but they are not, it's not even a, not being faithful, right? but they forget about the healing, the process. healing and the time. The waiting upon the healing mm -hmm. too. That sometimes we're so interested in saying, I'm not going, no, God is good. Yes. Jesus is so good. Uh -huh. Jesus is, and Jesus is good and God is good. I'm not denying that. But those devastations are devastating. And those are real too. And they are real. God can be good at the same time yes. as your heart can be obliterated by a situation or a circumstance or a person. And to me, I think him taking having the patience mm -hmm. to endure with us our sufferings mm -hmm. which is exactly what scripture says that um don't ask me to quote the verse but <laughs> it's there somewhere look it up this is your <laughs> engage the bible this is your action item <laughs> this is your action item you know this whole idea of um of then i don't i i know that it's nuanced and i hope that i'm making the kind of sense that I want to make of this idea of engaging action through waiting and engaging, engaging waiting through action. Yeah. I like does this make sense to me? It does to me. And so that's, I think what I've learned over all of these years that it requires the both. And I think this then requires the discernment of, and the maturity and the, the trusting, not just God, but also ourselves. Yes, which we have touched on. We touched uh, on in our believing and doubting episode, the trust that God has actually placed in us yeah. to do what's right, to do what we know to do, what we don't always have to have it written in the sky to know the next thing to do. I really like that. I also, I like you kind of partnering those ideas together because it is the but, it, when we're talking about the but also in this case, it is both of those things like waiting is as much a part of the process at times of our faith in action as is actually taking action steps. Yeah. And a lot of times we have to do both depending on the circumstance We're we're put in a position where both are required. Yeah. Um, and you also touched on um, prayer, like seasons where you were like training and being in a training ground to hear from the Lord in no way do I want to diminish the purpose or importance of prayer and seeking God's face and listening prayer and spending time in quiet and hearing from God none of I don't think either of us are saying that Never. in you know having faith in action means that you skip that part um, it can be the both and it should yeah. usually be the both and both are important. I think that what I've seen so many Christians do is use the default Christianese language of things like, well, I'm just waiting on the Lord just yeah. wherever he leads just, or the, this is one of my favorites. Well, I, it hasn't been put on my heart, right? It hasn't been put on my heart to feed the homeless. It hasn't been put on my heart to, you know, give more money every month it hasn't been put on my heart to serve in this way and then that becomes this excuse for inaction yep whatever that is i mean we're we all fall victim to that i'm i'm saying this of myself as well i'm not just pointing a finger i'm saying i've done that and that's some bull you know what it is 
It is straight up privilege. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. That is what it is. Mm -hmm. It is me saying I'm happy and comfortable in my Mm -hmm. little world. And unless a great, powerful, almighty being comes in and interrupts me, Mm -hmm. don't bother me. That's right. I'm good. Don't bother my finances. That's right. Don't bother my schedule. (laughs) My schedule. My calendar. Don't bother it. And and I think, and it's... And I'm so glad you brought that up because I think that that's the very practical one. Or uh, being forced into abusive situations. Like oh, we gosh. haven't, has the Lord, you're in a terrible church situation, right? Right. right? And has the Lord released has you Has the Lord yet released to go? you yet? What the hell does that mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Lord has released me from crazy. Yes, The Lord goodbye. released me a long time ago. And, you know, the amount of, that's, a, that's another episode, all of the abusive things that, the church has done yeah, to right, our done. friends. Um, so sorry, no, a little right. bit, a little bit of bitterness there, perhaps. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, what else? What other things are? When when is it better to wait? Now, now the flip side. When is it better to wait? I mean, I don't know if there's always a time where it's better to wait. I think sometimes it just makes itself known that you have to wait. Like if this is an example that's kind of it's very sad and that comes to my mind, but this is what comes to my mind. Say you're parents of a child and this child, your child's diagnosed with some terrible illness. Let's just say cancer. There's a lot of waiting Mm -hmm. in something like that. The people that I know whose children have um, unfortunately been diagnosed with cancer, there's a lot, there are a lot of periods of waiting where you are just praying. You are just discerning. You are just listening. You're just trying to grasp onto information between doctors and what you think you're supposed to do for your child while you wait to take some kind of action that may or may not be life-saving. I mean, this is a very specific and, you know, devastating kind of um, situation, but that is some a place where you can only wait sometimes, mm. and that's okay. I don't think it's the that it always has to be action, but I do think that our, our tendency is to think of works as – a negative. Yeah. We fall into the thinking that when I'm doing work for the Lord, when I'm relying on works, then all of a sudden I'm a bad Christian yeah. because I'm trying to earn my salvation. Yeah. We're so, we swing so far into the grace spectrum where we say, or Frank Viola talks about, who was an author, I think I've mentioned him on another episode, but who, Christian writer who talks about there's two extremes within Christianity there's the libertinism. Right. And there's legalism. Legalism becomes so concerned with only doing works. Yeah. And then libertinism becomes concerned with doing no works and only relying on grace. And I wrote down that verse from James, and I don't have the reference because why would I write down the actual (laughs) reference? But when James says, You have faith and I have works, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Yeah. He's like, no, faith, I'm going to show you my faith by the work that I do. Yep. That's really important. Well, and think about that now, and especially in the context of 2020, mm-hmm. where there, I mean, I have never been more angry yeah. at, in, at the state of the church than in 2020. I mean, I think it's been brewing for a lot of years. Yes. But in terms of collect, the collective privilege that has been evidenced by the church in terms of this inaction, yes. that you can say whatever you want to say, but lift up your finger, put on a effing, I almost, I almost dropped that yeah, F-bomb. I can see you reel that I back in real quick, like, back, right? <laughs> put on an effing mask, right. okay? 
Can't be done. Can't be done. Don't take away my civil liberties. (laughs) What in the mother effing what? Yeah, but that is the exercise of what they think is faith, which is a whole other conversation of how totally twisted that is. It's true. I I can go off the rails. But yes, I know what you're saying. But right, this whole idea that. you know, my, it's my faith. It's my faith. It's my faith. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I don't. I got to get back on track here. But you know, the I will say in my marriage, I you know, I, we've said I'm an Enneagram four feeler. My husband's an Enneagram five thinker, and I grew up in a family. It wasn't the healthiest dynamic, where we said when we were angry or hurt, we just let the other person know. Yeah, there was no waiting period. Mm-hmm. It was bleh. yeah. And then you take back, and this is probably how I learned to forgive so easily because mm-hmm, you had to, mm-hmm. you had to right, say, you had oh, to "Sorry for something. all the shit that came out of yeah. your mouth." Greg is from a family that very much does not talk about anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I came into the family, it was like, "Oh, like, who this is girl Renee?" Wants to talk about <laughs> stuff. All right, and um, so, but so he ended up like you know clamming up and wouldn't talk and would kind of just withdraw and here I was engaging and he was withdrawing and so the action and the waiting and we learned and I think where our marriage you know there were a lot of things that contributed to our marriage really going um you know it was it was good and then it had a total plummet because of a lot of different circumstances and then we really did rise and I think that rising and um happened when I learned to wait and he learned to act. That's so good. And so now before I just let everything <laughs> out, I pause. Yeah. And sometimes it makes him uncomfortable because yeah. he's he's used to me like ah! right right. And um and I have to say no. I need to think about whether or not I want to call him mm-hmm. these seven names <laughs> or if I want to accuse him of these seven behaviors that happened 4 months ago. And so or do I just um, well, I don't do that anymore, right? right? I talk about it seven months ago. I don't wait seven months to tell him that I'm angry that he's splashing the mirror right after I clean it. And so, <laughs> <laughs> but my point here is that I think sometimes we can we can learn those kinds of things in just practical everyday ways. Yeah, it's really good. And I think it was a spiritual discipline. Like God is glorified in my not being vituperative is the word. Dang. And Greg not being, you know, like, turtling into his yeah. safe fiveness of you know i'm it's not there right. if i've been here it's, it's not, not there. out there like and a so turtle him, like you Little know turtle. head you know poke out and him expressing more of how what he's thinking um and how he's feeling and so and it's made things better and i think it teaches our children now that yeah. kind of balance too it's really good Anyway, I don't know, waiting waiting and taking action, it is a process. And yeah. I think when you're younger, I think it depends on your personality, like you said. For there sure. Are the personality has a lot. Well, you just were even just the example you just gave with you and Greg, which I think was so beautiful and so good. That's that was so much personality. When we talk about um we talk about this in our organic church, which is the church Renee and I are part of, which we will someday do an episode on, that one of the things um or I guess it's actually from Bonhoeffer's wish dream, really, technically, but we talk about it in church, that sometimes dying to yourself – nope, it's Frank Viola. Sometimes dying to yourself (laughs) is um, doing something apart from your natural proclivity Mm -hmm. and your personality. So so for Greg, dying to himself was taking action. And for you, dying to yourself was waiting and pausing. 
and listening yeah. or however that worked out. And Not so giving full vent to my every emotion <laughs> right. at every, every moment. moment. <laughs> right. Feeling all the things. And so that is a that's such a good reminder that yeah, our dying to ourself can look like the thing that's uncomfortable for us in yeah. our personality. And so a lot of times for some of us, action might be the more comfortable, easier thing. Like Jonathan, my husband as an example, he's such a doer. He's a super driven, motivated person. And for him, action is really easy. He's had to learn to, yes, wait and slow down in that. But also for him, the big personality shift and the spiritual revelation was how much he cannot do things apart from God. Mm -hmm. That God is actually the sustainer of his motivation and the sustainer of his drive. It's not him. Jesus is the sustainer of that. So that's a counter, counter intuitive, yeah. right? Idea for him. That's but it's a spiritual truth. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Greg had one of those revelations before we got married, you know, because Greg was oh, the good boy always. Mm -hmm. And the, the chaste one, the good one, the one who just, you know, all of his ducks were in a row. Mm -hmm. And I think his ducks got un in a row after we got married, <laughs> but it wasn't my fault. I think he also had this kind of revelation that it's from the scripture too, and I can't remember which one. If he were here, his Enneagram fineness, man, that guy can recite scripture. <laughs> he read it 25 years ago when he gets it. I don't, but the, the, the no one is good but God. And this idea that no one is good but God. And then, mm -hmm. uh, I don't know why I'm sharing this, but this idea that, um, hmm, where am I? Um, his yeah, that his works, revolution. yeah, that his behavior was not the end all be all of his identity. Yes. That no one is good from God and his goodness rested in 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 God and not in himself. And not as an act of self-flagellation, but as an act of humility. That's good. And anyway, so, and I think that that was important. And I think, think you nailed it there, that it is really the letting go of who we are. And that's letting go of your privilege. Right when I do these uh, workshops on on power and and privilege and white supremacy and, and well, it's really white patriarchal capitalistic supremacy, <laughs> we we do this thing called Power Flower, where you identify where you are, you know, your biological sex, um, your family status, are you married or single, your sexual orientation, your um, income and education level, race and country of origin. Um, you know, ability, you know, are, do you have, have any neurodivergence or physical um, disabilities uh, or mental, right? We all have mental health, but not all of us um, are healthy in that way. And so in any case, and, and if there, there you have a flower and each petal is demarcated with one of those identities and you write yours in. And then I put up what the U.S. power structures are. So it's married with children, male, uh, U.S. white, U.S. born white, uh, you know, no physical, mental ailments, ailments or anything <laughs> or disabilities. Right. Um, Christian, you know, religions on there, Christian, um, a heterosexual and, you know, a doctorate and making money, money maker, money maker. <laughs> and so anyway, a doctorate with money maker, right? So what the hell? Why did I bring this up? Anyway, <laughs> so the people, when we do the, what the? <laughs> I had a place. I always also say, and, and we're going to do a mini, mini guy on this one. Nicole and I. Nicole gave me COVID. <laughs> <laughs> what? 
she didn't. She gave COVID to one of our friends. And Actually, he, I didn't. He so. did it. Nicole gave COVID to Jonathan, and Jonathan gave COVID I to mean, our friend, and our friend gave COVID to me. And so we are just emerging out of COVID, and I'm telling you, COVID brain is real. It's a real thing. But M&M brain is also real. And so anyway, I, I do this power privilege thing to show people um, – not to not to call them out because there are people who are left oh sorry so let's say um that you are female you would rip that gender pedal off all right so because it's the, not the dominant because it's not the dominant structure structure in your where you live it, right. where you live sorry mm-hmm. it took me a long time to get there no i'm just but here we go adding clarifying right, information because i've done the You've exercise done the and flower. i quite like it it's so great it's, it's, it's really everybody's good. favorite but and it's never meant to shame. So at the end of the activity, and I, I don't ask anybody to out themselves unless they want to, you are left either with a full flower, mm-hmm. right? So you've got privilege in all of the dynamics. So if, you know, a lot of white males are have, are left with a full flower. And then somebody like me, I'm left with like two or three flowers. Mm-hmm. Petals. And petals, petals, mm-hmm. sorry, petals. And so, and I always just, it's not to call out the white patriarchy or anything like that, but to say, hey, for those of you with a fuller flower, what are you mm-hmm. going to do with your power? Mm-hmm. And for those of us with limpy flowers, <laughs> all right, where, you know, petals are gone or no flower, where yes. we have nothing but a stem right. left. There are many people mm-hmm. who are left with just a stem. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do about it? Right. What do you need to, what needs to change? How are we going to balance these things? And I think for us, especially within the church, we have to recognize how much power we think we have mm-hmm. that we don't, yeah. that we ought not to, and how much power we don't think we have that we do have access that to. That we do have access that's, to. That's a word, Renee. And I think once we <laughs> get out of, well, the white patriarchal capitalistic Republican mindset within the church, episode four can bring you up to speed on my views there. Um, Then we can truly start tapping into the spiritual disciplines of where the Lord wants us to be. And I think that's when we definitely can enter into humility and concurrently confidence that allows us to discern when we wait and when we act. Yeah. Not just in the spiritual, but also in the natural. Yeah. That's really good. That's really good. It has me thinking too about... I had kind of mentioned just how scared we are, how scared we are of just relying on works. And I don't know why that comes up and why the kick back then is to just head one direction or the other. As though the thing is Christians know all day long that they didn't earn their salvation. That's the fundamental key piece of the gospel but then we get really nervous when we think we're doing stuff that looks like we're trying to earn my salvation. Like me feeding the homeless Mm. is not me trying to earn my salvation. Mm -mm. Me feeding the homeless is literally part of me living out the gospel. I'm not earning anything. It's already been completely done. It's all earned. So my action my action in that my my action isn't effort it's an overflow Mm -hmm. it's an outpouring it's a 
It's a spilling forth. Yeah. It's the, hopefully, the image of Jesus being reflected in me. And it's never perfect. It changes from day to day, <laughs> depending on whether I had a nap or not. But it's, that's what it is. That's yeah. part of it. And I don't, I, I really don't understand the, the fear of making it look like we're trying to work something up. I don't really get that. It should just be a natural extension of how we live our lives. 100%. And I think sometimes, especially when we go with the homelessness or whatnot, again, coming back to privilege, this whole thing, I didn't even realize all of this is bound up in that, mm-hmm. is, well, handouts. These right, people right, need right. to work for their mm-hmm. things, for, for everything. Okay, sure. Great. Fantastic. You know, think what you want to think. And there is something to be said. I remember one time when I was living in London. Um, oh, I told that story last episode. We did two episodes today and I'm, I'm a little, my wires are crossed. Um, but I was living in London back in college and there was a girl at, I think it was Paddington Station. And it was a London Underground uh, station. And she wanted money and she was like my age. And I was like, I felt bad for her. So I gave her, I don't know, five pounds. And um, these two cops came up to me right afterwards and I was terrified. And I was uh-huh. like, because it was like Jesus in my heart. This girl was yeah. my age. I needed to like, I needed to befriend help her, her and I needed yeah. to help her. And they, and then I can't do their accent, so I won't. Oh, but I they really, were like, really wish you know would. it the worst. <laughs> and so, um, and just like a little baby, like a little like, teeny tiny. Well, it's very kind of you to <laughs> to have given that woman a couple of quid, but she's a drug addict, and she sought you out because she knew that you were a sucker. And uh, and that was actually I, pretty good. Know, that was actually pretty and good. And I was like, ah. And since then, I was like, okay, I don't want to give money to drug addicts. I don't want to fuel that habit. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do that. So now you know what I do? I actually give way more because if somebody's hungry, I will go buy them a meal. Yeah, of course. I, now I do that. Or, you know, um, and if I can, or we have food in, and this is a great, you know, Nicole's kids have like a little company where they have these little boxes, these, what are they called? They're like homeless um, care packages. Yeah, but they're called something. Oh, our com- their company's called Swellway. Swellway, so cool. And we had these boxes and we would give them to people and people were flabbergasted mm-hmm. because they were like, oh, this box with like water and, and food and a toothbrush and all of these things. And so like, you know, you can be prepared in your car to give, because to me, fine, if I give a drug addict five bucks, all right, maybe I've been, I've been an enabler. But if I give anybody, I don't care how rich or poor yeah. you are, a glass of water, right. I have just done the work of Jesus, That's literally, because right. there's a scripture that says, That's right. you the gave least them, of these. Yeah, give them water. That brings up a really good point. I was thinking about something that we've communicated with our kids as an example. So our kids had some friends over a while back, and I think my kids were talking with them about their little homeless care packages that they make for to keep in the car. And... <clears throat> I think maybe one of my kids said something like, yeah, and sometimes we give money, you know, if we have money on us or we give cash. And one of these children stopped and looked so shocked and said, you should never give money to people on the street, homeless people, because they will only use it to buy drugs and alcohol. And I was so, these are children from a Christian home. I was so devastated and saddened by that. And, you know, we had, my kids were, very confused by that statement. So we had to talk with them. And what you touched on, which I think is such a huge part of faith and action, 
and waiting and listening is discernment. Yeah. It's not going to be exactly the same every single time. God is not a God of formulas. He does not say to us, every time you see a homeless person on the street, you should do exactly this thing because this is the exact same thing that I want you to do every time. I was thinking about all the times in scripture in the gospels where Jesus was healing people and he did all these different weird things. Sometimes he was like, I'm going to spit in the dirt and I'm going to mix up some mud. I'm going to slap it on your eyes. And sometimes the man with the withered hand in the book of John, which is one of my very favorite stories, he's like, stretch out your hand. Jesus tells the man to stretch out his hand. Well, technically that man shouldn't have even been able to stretch out his hand because his hand was like withered and distorted and a hand like that is curled up in that form. But he told him, stretch out your hand and the man did and the man was healed. And you know, there's all the other stories, right? He tells people, get up and walk, take your mat, go on, go into the town and tell people, go into the town and don't tell people, right? All of these different things that he told people to do, which by the way, were all actions. He was telling them to take action. Not only did God command them to do this action in order to receive their healing that was part of it but he also whatever jesus was doing he said i don't do anything that i don't see my father in heaven doing Mm -hmm. so we know that in those moments he was tapped into some supernatural discernment and was hearing from the holy spirit about what he was supposed to do and how he was supposed to do it so if i have the holy spirit in me if i'm somewhere and i feel and i see a person on the street and we'll continue with this example and i say Should I, Lord, should I give this person the five bucks I have in my wallet? Sometimes, yes. Sometimes, no. Sometimes go buy them a bottle of water. Sometimes give them a pack from your car. Sometimes buy them a meal. Sometimes nothing. That is because we have the living God in us and which you were also saying, he trusts us. He's in us and we have to be able to tap into that. Discernment is a huge part of knowing when to wait and when to take action and, and the how of all of that. Yep. And that, I think, is what makes us rise to a higher level of Christianity, specifically in the United States. How are we going? And Jesus says, greater works will you do, mm-hmm. right? Jesus says, therefore, I am with you. Go into the ends of the earth, uh, ends of the earth preaching. And, and, it's, and even there's one scripture, I think it was in the pool, where there was a there was an angel that would stir up the pool. Mm -hmm. And if anybody would enter into the pool, they would be healed. Mm -hmm. And there was one particular person who could never get there. Right. And, and I think the story goes that Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And the religious get real, real. Oh, they don't like that. Up in a fraught about this. Right. And they're like, ah, I can't believe that you're blasphemer. Mm -hmm. He's like, all right, fine. Look, (laughs) Take up your mat and walk then. And the guy is healed. He didn't even have to go into the pool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and this idea that John it's in John. It is I think yeah, it's in several but John the, five, the but, healing pool with the angel. Yeah. yeah. This this idea though, thank you. This idea that that the religious aren't gonna like it either way. That's right. They're not gonna like it. Mm-hmm. You don't do something, your your sins are forgiven, you're you're damned. Yeah. All right. Oh, pick up your tap. What? You're healing on the Sabbath. You shouldn't be doing that. (laughs) You know, all of these things. And that's how you smell a rat, people. That is how you smell a rat. And a legalism rat. (laughs) That's right. And so, and speaking of, I have roof rats. 
And I'm going to. Speaking of rats. (laughs) And I. has rats. (laughs) Listen, I I have an essay prepared. It's going to, the parallels of having roof rats and having COVID-19. It is, it is there, people. It is there. It's going to, as soon as I finish this semester, this is my last week of the semester. uh, I'm going to write this essay. Maybe. (laughs) It might just end up being an Instagram post, but I might write an essay. So. <laughs> this might be the extent Check of the stories. <laughs> it's coming. <laughs> the great roof rat COVID nineteen parallel, in which I solve the world's great dilemmas. <laughs> but but Christ actually, in my estimation, does. And I I think what Nicole said is absolutely true. And and that's it's how we need to move beyond rote Christianity, just, you know, this, this religiosity, the churchianity into moving into this space where we are empowered by the great and almighty God through the Holy Spirit. Um, And we can't be afraid of that. And when we're not afraid of that, we are not going to be afraid of others or ourselves. Ooh, that's good. And and that's how we come into it. That's how we come into unity. I like that. And you can say, I will wear a mask because I love you. <laughs> it's true. You can say that. And you should. I do. I wear a mask. I have a mask with Freddie Mercury on it and another one with Keanu on it. And the Keanu one says, you're breathtaking. Ah. Get it? Oh, I get it. So good. I really, I get it. So good. So Listen, good. Get a mask that reflects your personality and get the fuck over it. So <laughs> there it is. I said it's the first F word <laughs> on not only what also. You might have to take that out. <laughs> Evan might have to bleep it. We're not sure. Although we are a Christian podcast, I guess ish. With <laughs> so this was the with, episode. With a little e next to some of our episodes <laughs> and i scroll and i go oh it's explicit oh that's explicit so this was the episode in which we talked so extensively about actual scripture we don't this usually the most we've ever talked about scripture and you said that word. listen if that's not apropos of us i don't know what is <gasps> look we balanced it we balanced it just fine it's all about balance <laughs> look don't get me started. <laughs> Don't get all me about started. All right. I had a couple other thoughts, but I feel like we should just wrap oh, there. just bring them all. No, I no, I really do have to go. Oh, I know you do. <laughs> I really do. I'm going to pause them, and I think that they're going to fit into another episode that we've already talked about write doing them down, eventually. Though. Write them down. Oh, I'm going to write them down. Okay, good. But I also think that's a perfect place to stop. It's true. Okay. Well, we thank you so much. Please come back, even though I said the F word. <laughs> But And I also talked about a lot of scripture, too. So there are some people who aren't going to come back because of the F word. And there are others who might not come back because of the scriptures. Give her her works (laughs) chips for all of her scripture quotes. And don't and only dock her two Christian points for her F word. Thank you very much. the secularists out there are going to dock me 100 points for all the scripture reference. And then give me back 1,000 for dropping the F word. I don't know. I think think scripture goes a long way, even if you don't, aren't a professing Christian. It's true. Be impressed by all my scriptural knowledge. Good biblical, like, wisdom and Jesus's love just always represents, doesn't really matter. It's true. It's true. Give to the poor. Give to the poor. That's what we're talking about. (laughs) Lay down your privilege privilege and give to the poor. (laughs) And don't just pray about it. Actually do it. The end. Thanks for listening. Bye. (laughs) Goodbye. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Peace.
In the Middle East. <laughs> All the time. Every day. Every day. <laughs>